Greetings, beloved, and thanks again for listening to our sermons through uh, this feed. There's something about something like 1,750 sermons uh, and readings on our feed here now. So I believe if you go to the Podbean website or you go to iTunes, you can search for anything that you're looking for. Um, but if you found this one, you have joined us on a seven-year journey through a chronological outlining of the Lord's ministry. Um, I've mentioned before I was born Catholic, so a lot of these things I knew about these events uh, to a degree, of course, but nothing about the chronological placement of them and what led from one thing to another, nothing about Jewish heritage, uh, the significance of some of the words that the Lord was using and the things that he was referencing. So that's the intention of this study. Uh, The reason you're getting this uh, more personal introduction is because this is one more of those sermons, uh, four so far, that were preached in the summer but not recorded. And if you've gone back and listened to the first one of these, which was Uh, Jesus' life on earth, arraignment of the Pharisees in one of their own homes. You've already heard a very long explanation as to why they didn't get recorded, so I won't bore you here. So this is the fourth one I've recorded today. Uh, It comes right after Jesus' life on earth, all must repent or perish. Uh, And these were all loaded sequentially, so this shouldn't be confusing for you. Finding them in the other ones could be. So if you go back and find the message from June which I will look up the title for you right now. The message in June entitled, Jesus' Life on Earth, The Beelzebub Accusation and Seeking a Sign. These messages all fall right after that one, and there'll be five more of them. I know uh, (laughs) it's a burden. All of the other titles that we have done for this series have been chronological. The intention of a chronological study is to never have this kind of confusion, and I am so sorry. Uh, I almost didn't record them, but I know there's quite a few folks who have been uh, telling me that they've enjoyed it, and I wanted to make sure that I did my diligence to get all of these recorded for you. So after this one, there'll be five more. Uh, Certainly won't be today, uh, as I've done this for a few days now, and I'm, I'm losing my voice. So I will finish this one, and then we'll try to get those other five to you. I'm hopeful by the end of next week. My hope is to have all these recorded before we get into the Passion Week of the Lord's sacrifice and trial and everything, because there's a lot of detail there, and I really don't want it to get broken up by having to put out these older messages. So bear with me and turn in your Bibles to Luke 13. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17 with this outline, and we've entitled this one, The Crippled Woman Healed on Sabbath and Jesus' Defense. Luke 13, verse 10, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed together, or bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall, and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, Lo, these eighteen years, ought not this woman be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? 
And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. This marks, in the chronological study, the fifth Sabbath day controversy. This is one of our shorter outlines to cover. I just have five points, and each one very brief, but things to consider as we look at these 18 verses. First, the infirmity. To understand this event better, we might be tempted to decipher what the infirmity was. Strong says it's 24 uses uh, of its 24 uses, this word has been translated as infirmity 17 times, weakness 5 times, disease once, and sickness once. It comes from the Greek word asthenia, which is defined as feebleness uh, of the mind or of the body. By implication, it speaks to a malady or a moral frailty. Disease, infirmity, sickness, weakness, a want of strength, a weakness, or an infirmity. Of the body, its native weakness and frailty, feebleness of health or sickness. Of the soul, it speaks to a want of strength and capacity, requisite to understand a thing, to do things great and glorious, to restrain corrupt and desires, uh, to restrain corrupt desires, or to bear trials and troubles. It's unclear whether this was a physical deformity from birth or an affliction that came on midlife. We know it's been 18 years, but we don't actually know how old she was, uh, so we don't know when it began. What we do know is she's been afflicted with it for 18 years. It causes her body to bend completely forward or to be bowed together. She could in no wise, which means utterly or completely, she could not lift herself up. She could not straighten out her body. It was a spirit, according to what Jesus says there in verse 11 uh, of the description of her. And she had been bound to this spirit by Satan himself, according to what Jesus says in verse 16. So in other words, for the 18 years leading up to this moment in time, this woman could not deliver herself from the spirit of this infirmity that the devil had made her slave to. Outwardly, it was reflected in the stooped over and drawn in formation of her body. Secondly, we should consider the woman. Imagine the distress of the woman bound by Satan for 18 years. Yet she faithfully attended the synagogue and worshipped God. Like Abraham, she had faith to believe that God was able to do the impossible. But was her healing required for her to be able to worship? Was it required, beloved, for her to be healed, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior? I understand that there are those who preach easy believism and a profitability factor toward the gospel in that they will be rich and wealthy and prosperous and so on and so forth. But that's not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not dependent upon him doing a physical healing work for us to believe. A spiritual healing work, yes. The effect, the general call of the gospel being made effectual Yes, and that is a spiritual working of the Holy Spirit on the receiving or the hearing of the gospel itself. That work is required. Him calling first, him loving first, that is required. Consider Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 25. It says here, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of, uh, at the promise of God through unbelief. And of course, this is speaking of Abraham. But Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. 
and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to also perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. For we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Thirdly, beloved, let's consider the physician at work. Notice that Jesus sees her need. He sees her. He goes to her. He does not just see there is a woman suffering, but Jesus sees 18 years of suffering this infirmity. He sees divine opportunity and meets his divine appointment. Jesus calls her unto himself. John 6:44. No man can come up to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at that last day. That's that spiritual work that we were talking about. John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw men unto me. This is the instrumentality of the Lord Jesus Christ to do that spiritual work that we were talking about. Hebrews seven nineteen. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. That better hope, beloved, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the instrument of God the Father's plan to save some. As he calls her, he confidently states that she has been loosed from the infirmity, that he lays hands on her, then he lays hands on her, and her body is made straight. This is significant as the healing she needed was not primarily physical. We can see a tree that appears to be dead and think it needs water or think that it needs sunlight or whatever it might be. If the real problem, though, is the vine that has firmly entangled itself around the trunk and limbs of the tree like a parasite, that must be addressed first. Jesus pronounces her free from the devil's bondage. Then he sets her upright again. Go and sin no more would be an adequate thought process here for this woman. She's been set free. Jesus glorifies God the Father. These three are the great purposes of Christ, to be lifted up before man in his, uh, in his sinful state, to call whom he will unto himself, that they be healed, and to glorify the Father. The three great purposes of the Lord Jesus. Now, he accomplishes way more than three, but these are three great and mighty purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth thing that we need to consider, of course, is that dastardly antagonist in this event of the Lord's ministry, the ruler of the synagogue. To be indignant or displeased at what the Lord did here for this woman is wrong. Would we yet today be upset if we heard that the Lord was working in a church down the road, if we didn't indeed see the same work done here? (laughs) Be careful, that might be a trick question. This ruler could not have truly known who Jesus was to find displeasure in his workings. It is, uh, it is a kindness to him that the Bible doesn't name him. Notice carefully that the ruler addresses the people in verse 14. He was displeased with Jesus healing on the Sabbath day, but his address is encouraging the people to come and be healed any of the other six days of the week. He does not seem to doubt the work of healing that could be done, but he wickedly despises the intentions of God himself to do it that day. Our final point, the Lord's defense. Surely we do not imply that the Lord was required to defend his actions here. He chose to do so. 
He compares the woman's situation of bondage to the devil's infirmity as an ox or ass being tied to the stall. He fittingly describes the process of loosing them to be led to a watering. Think of Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness, for they shall be filled. Think about John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, when he's talking to the woman at the well. Jesus, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in, a, uh, in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. A perfect picture of this situation for sure, as this woman was in bondage to her reputation in the community and had to come out from among them to find water. It's similarly to this woman in her situation. She's been, uh, if we think of the picture of the ox or the ass here, she's been hitched to that post. She's slave to it. She can't stray from it. She's bowed forward. For 18 years, she's been hitched to that post. And this day, the Sabbath day, the Lord Jesus unhooks her from that post and brings her to the well of everlasting life and allows for her to drink. Consider John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Driving home the value of this woman to him in the eyes of this ruler, Jesus refers to her as a daughter of Abraham in verse 16, thus appealing to the pride of his race. It also makes it very clear that the Lord is once again attacking religion. No, beloved, if this is the first time you've ever heard it, listen to me. The Lord did not come to this earth. He did not vacate the right hand of the Father to establish religion on the earth. Man had already created religion at that point. And it didn't take very long. As a matter of fact, if we were to take a little extra time in this particular lesson and go all the way back to Genesis, we would see that man created religion way back with Nimrod and Babylon. And possibly even before that, man had a natural inclination to worship and, and practice. And because of that, to justify it, if you will, he had to come up with some reason for that tendency. And it could not be that man was not good enough. So he performed works to justify the righteousness that man seemingly knew he required. But, beloved, the only way in which that righteousness could be imputed unto us, the only means uh, for it must be vicariously through the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. That justification is only possible through him as the source. This event closes a bit differently than many that we have come through recently. Jesus' uh, defense silences and shames his adversaries, and all the people rejoice for all the glorious things that were done by him. That's how this closes. Each event leading to this point has only served to antagonize these same adversaries more and more. He's exposing bit by bit their own heresy and the dangers of their own religion. In fact, if the scripture didn't go ahead and tell us why the people rejoice, we might infer they were doing so because the rulers, scribes, and Pharisees were finally being straightened out. Warren Wearsby wrote, The Jewish religion, or rather the Jewish religious leaders, had so shackled the people with rules and regulations that they were also bowed down or bowed down with burdens. 
just as this woman was with her affliction. The ruler of the synagogue was a hypocrite. He would rescue one of his animals. He would take them from the hitched post and give them water and see to their needs. But he would not help a human being made in God's own image. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we close yet another outline here, Father, we just ask that you would be merciful unto us, and we we definitely don't deserve it, but we fall upon your mercy, Lord. Reveal in us that which does not belong, that leaven that has given us the puffed-up rise, that whether it be religion or, or the, the, the sins of self, self-esteem, self, all those things, Lord, you know all those things, and we just ask, Father, that you reveal them unto us and that you uh, humiliate us as needed, Father, that we would come crawling, pleading and begging, Father, that you would use us as you see fit, that others would hear of the hope of the gospel, that they would see Jesus in our actions and in our words. Be with those who might be listening, Father, that don't have a church, that don't have a community of like-minded believers. Show them a path, Father. If there's any way, Lord, in, in which our work here in Tulsa could be a blessing unto them and, and help them in that regard, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would move their hearts and minds and that you would stir us up as well, Lord, that we might see that opportunity and, uh, and be so willing, Father, to jump headlong into seeing your work fulfilled. We ask, Father, again, that these messages and, and, and these sermons that we record, are, they never, even a little bit, speak to our pride or puff us up or act as some type of leaven, Lord, but that we continually, with a pure heart and pure mind, put these things out there, Father, that others would hear the gospel, that others would be educated on the Bible, and that, Father, as we, we've talked in, in, in uh, illustrations before, Father, that your soldiers would not die untrained, that none would go to their death without hearing the gospel and hearing about that judgment that waits on the other side. We ask, Father, that like this woman who was afflicted for 18 long years, you would permit us to see our affliction, that we would cry out to the Son of David, have mercy on me. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.